You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. Somewhere on your shelf, or in your cupboard, or in a box under your desk, I bet you have one of these cameras. And if you don't, I bet you've walked past many of them in your local thrift shop, charity shop, or up shop. This is the camera that brought photography to the masses, so revolutionary that over 60 million of them were made from the 1960s onwards. I am, of course, talking about the Kodak Instamatic. Have you ever shot a 126 film cartridge? I've just shot a couple of them. Keep listening and find out how I got on. I'm Matt Murray, and this is Matt Loves Cameras. Analog photography related. Matt loves cameras. Hello, how are you, my friends? Welcome to another episode of Matt Loves Cameras. It's still winter here in Brisbane and it has been raining, raining and more raining. I don't know what's going on. Uh, usually in winter, we don't get much rain, so it's kind of crazy. Uh, poor old Marshall Dalmatian has missed out on a couple of walks this week um, because it's been raining so heavy in the evening. I didn't really fancy going out in the wet and the cold. Uh, I can pretty much handle one of those, but both of them, hmm, maybe not. Uh, but uh, we, we did go out for a good walk this afternoon, so I think he's all happy today. So just a quick recap. I'm Matt Murray. I'm a photographer and camera enthusiast from sunny Brisbane in Australia. This podcast is all about analog photography. In many episodes of the podcast, I will review a different film or instant camera, telling you about its history, its features, what it's like to use, and what kind of photos you can expect from it. In other episodes, I will chat about a particular topic in film photography, like a film review or a book review or stuff like that. In today's episode, episode 14 of Matt Loves Cameras, I am reviewing a little classic camera, the Kodak Instamatic. You can see the show notes for every episode of Matt Loves Cameras on the website mattlovescameras.com and you can also see some of the photos I'm talking about today on the show's Instagram at mattlovescameras. So let's kick off the show talking about the 126 film format, which of course is the type of film that the Kodak Instamatic cameras use. So 126 cartridge film was introduced by Kodak in 1963, along with those very easy to use point and shoot cameras that we all know and kind of love, the Kodak Instamatic. So this new film format brought photography to the masses. The main advantage of the camera was that it was super easy to use. The film was in a cartridge, so you simply popped the cartridge into the back of the camera, closed it up, wound it on and started shooting. This was fantastic for beginning photographers as there was none of that troublesome roll film to have to load up in a camera, which was actually a problem for a lot of people back in the 50s and early 60s. Another problem that Kodak solved was people opening up the cameras before the film was finished. And of course, if you did that, if you open up the back of the camera with 35mm film, you know, you probably expose at least a, a few of the, the frames uh, and you could potentially ruin the whole roll. 
But with the Instamatic camera, of course, uh, the film is protected largely in that cartridge. So you're probably only going to, you know, ruin or waste one frame uh, with one of those cartridges, which is a pretty good advantage for beginning photographers. The cameras were very easy to use as well, had very basic controls, and all you really need to do is pop the cartridge in, wind it on, and go out and take some photos. So the first model of the Instamatic was the Instamatic 100, which was launched in March 1963 and sold for 16 US dollars, which is around 135 US dollars in today's kind of money. Within two years of the launch, more than seven and a half million Instamatics had been sold worldwide, which was quite phenomenal. In the following years, it broke all records, becoming the best-selling camera series of all time, dominating snapshot photography from 1963 to 1972, when Kodak, in effect, cannibalized their market here by introducing another very easy-to-use film format, 110 film, which of course, as we discussed in episode one of Matt Loves Cameras, 110 film is in effect a miniature version of 126 film. The 126 system was a huge success, partly because of how easy the cameras in the film were to use, but also partly because Kodak allowed other manufacturers to make cameras and film to fit this new format. So where did the number 126 come from? Well, Kodak used the number 126 in reference to the fact that the images were 26 millimeters square. However, the size of the images were actually 28 by 28 millimeters, but usually that was reduced by masking during printing. Now, funnily enough, this was not the first film to bear the number 126. There was an early roll film produced between 1906 and 1949 that was also called 126 film, but there's absolutely uh, no relationship between 126 roll film and the 126 cartridge film whatsoever. In fact, that 126 roll film was four and a quarter inches by six and a half inches. So I have a 126, uh, a very old 126 cartridge here. Uh, I'm just going to measure it for you. It's like a bit of black plastic. Uh, and in the middle, there is a lovely 60s Kodak uh, sticker. Uh, this is actually, this one I've got here is Kodakolor X, uh, color negative film, C22 process which was a process before C41. So some of the earlier 126 cartridges brought out in the 60s were that C22 process, uh, but as time wore on, uh, C41 become more the standard with that. Uh, this one actually had 20 exposures as well, which sounds quite odd, 20 exposures, but that's what a lot of the early cartridges uh, were made in. So on the left-hand side of this cartridge, there's an area like a little cylinder, and that's where the uh, unexposed film is tightly wound. So there's actually no spool in there. It's just kind of tightly wound in the supply end of the cartridge, which is the, which is the left-hand side as you're looking at it. And the film travels through a little bridge, I guess you could say, across the top of the cartridge into the take-up spool on the right-hand side. Um, and as it does that, you will get um, the backing paper, of course, showing through, through the back of the camera, and you can see what frame number you're on. Uh, so that's pretty handy. 
So if you've never used 126 film or you've never seen it, it's actually very similar in size to a format you probably do know very well, which is 135 film. So if you lay out um, the film in front of you here, I've got some 126 film here on the table and some 135 film on the table here. Both of the films are 35 millimeters high, which is where we get the name 35 mil film for, for the, the 135 format. Um, so both are 35 millimeters high, but the way in which the images uh, are put exposed onto the film is a little bit different. So with 135 film or 35 millimeter film, you've got sprockets or perforations on the film on the top and the bottom of the film. And the image in the middle, which is usually rectangular, is 36 millimeters wide by 24 millimeters high. Now, with 126 film, the images are typically 28 millimeters by 28 millimeters. So they take up more of the space on that film. Now, there's not a double row of sprockets on the top and the bottom. There are just one line of perforations on the top of the film. So there's a single perforation or a single hole per image on 126 film. Now, here's a trivia question for you. Uh, we'll take you to a little break. <laughs> How many sprockets are there per image on 135 film? Do you know? On 126 film, there's only one hole per image. How many holes per image are there for 135 film? You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. So without looking, did you work it out how many sprockets are on each frame of 135 film? Well, there's eight on the top and eight on the bottom. So I guess you could say there's eight in, in one row or you could say there's 16 either side of the image. So there you go. There's only one, of course, with 126 film, that single, single hole registration hole per image on the film. And the way that worked uh, was actually another feature from Kodak to make this film and these cameras as idiot-proof as possible. This is how it works. In 126 cameras, there is a pin, and as the film transports from the supply side of the cartridge to the take-up side, the pin falls into this one hole when the film is fully advanced to the next frame. So when the pin is in that hole, the film advance lever is locked, meaning you have to take a photo pressing the shutter until you can wind the film on to the next frame, which is perfect for beginning photographers, meaning that they'll never be able to um, keep winding a film and miss frames without it taking an exposure. Now, another very easy feature for beginning photographers was a kind of a kind of ancient kind of DX coding, I guess you could say. Um, on the cartridges, there was a notch, which was an indicator for the speed of the film. Now, some higher-end 126 cameras can read this ancient DX coding, and when you put the cartridge in, uh, it will tell the camera what the speed of the film is, and even on some of those really super fancy 126 cameras, it will also set the light meter appropriately. So uh, that was a pretty cool feature that Kodak brought in, and of course they extended that again to the, the 110 film cartridges when they came in. 
Now you're happily snapping away your photos with your Kodak Instamatic. Now when you get right to the end, the film does not need to be rewound. After the last frame, you just keep winding it until it keeps winding on and you see um, some, I saw some text on mine. I think it said EXP from memory at the end of the film. And as soon as you see that, you take your 126 cartridge out the back of your camera and you send it off for processing. So only films between ISO 64 and ISO 400 were made for this format. Uh, the film was originally available in only 12 and 20 image cartridges. And of course, this one I've got here in front of me, the really old Kodakolor X, has 20 uh, exposures on it. Well, it did did uh, have 20 exposures on it. I think it's kind of dead now. It's been sitting around for so long. But by the time that the uh, film was discontinued, it was only available in 24 exposures. And uh, the two cartridges that I shot for this episode were both 24 cartridges. 24 cartridges? What am I talking about? They're both 24 exposures. Uh, So one was a 24 exposure uh, house brand or home brand chemist film from 1985, and it was ISO 100 film. And the second one I shot was from 1993, and it was ISO 200, and it was Kodakolor brand. Uh, So developing 126 film uh, these days is pretty straightforward. It's just C41. So uh, that is presuming that you have a cartridge from, you know, the mid to late 70s onwards. Anything before then will probably probably be uh, C22, which was uh, phased out in the 1970s. So Kodak officially discontinued this format, the 126 format, on the 31st of December 1999, uh, Italian filmmaker Ferrania did continue the, to produce the film under their Solaris brand until 2007. Uh, but sadly, now there are no current suppliers of this film format in the market. Uh, if you are interested in shooting 126 film, uh, look, it's a bit of a lucky dip. You could probably pick some off eBay or uh, Etsy or thrift store. Um, but really it's a lucky dip uh, as to what you're going to get when you shoot those images, as you'll probably find out uh, when I talk about my images for this show. Now, because 126 film is the same size as 135 film, uh, if you can't get any sort of, well, I was about to say fresh 126 film, but if you can't get any 126 film that you think may work, you could always get a, a 126 cartridge and re-spool it with 35mm film into the cartridge. Um, but quite honestly, like, you know, you guys probably know that I'm not the most technical kind of person, not the best person with my hands. Uh, and, you know, sitting in the dark with a roll of 135 film and re-spooling it into a 126 cartridge, not my idea of a fun on a Saturday night, I must admit. So I don't think I'll be re-spooling any cartridges anytime soon. But if you're handy with your hands, funnily enough, you can actually re-spool these old cartridges, which could be fun, I guess. Um, The only thing to say is that I think there are only certain cameras where this will work uh, because, of course, the the single registration hole on 126 film is needed um, and uh, the the holes in 35mm film are a little bit different. Uh, and they may it may not work out. So just be very careful and do some research before you go down that road. 
Oh, and the one other thing to tell you is that you will need to reuse backing paper from a uh, a used 126 or a very, very old 126 cartridge. Without that backing paper, the film will be exposed to light through the rear window of the camera. So although 126 cameras were synonymous with being very sort of simple amateur cameras that gave the photographer very little control, there were a few high-end models made for the system by companies such as Kodak, Minolta, Rolly, Yashka, and Zeiss Icon. Very similar in a way to how the 110 format as well, uh, that was known for very, very similar, very easy to use cameras, which gave the photographer very little control. But again, with 110, there were a few cameras which were a little bit higher end and, and didn't give you that control. Now, speaking of 110, the Instamatic name was actually carried on to some of those 110 cameras made by Kodak. So it's not just 126 cameras that are known as Instamatic cameras. There are some 110 cameras as well which carry that Instamatic name. Now let's talk about the camera that I use to take images for this show. It's an Instamatic 233 camera made in England. Now, I actually picked this up from a, an antique store in northern New South Wales uh, for the princely sum of $2. Uh, so that's two Australian dollars, which is about, I don't know, $1.40 American or, or something like that. Uh, you could probably pick some of these up for free. People probably just give them away because there's, you know, over 60 million of these in the world. And probably most people aren't using them anymore because of the film isn't available. Now, usually when you find cameras in antique shops in Australia, they're either broken or they want a ridiculous amount of money for them. You know, it's sort of like, oh, yeah, mate, there's that Instamatic camera over there. You can have that for a hundred bucks. I don't know if it works or not, but uh, yeah, mate, it's, a, it's, a, it's an antique. Um, but I was I was lucky enough in this instance to get this one for two Australian dollars in the original packaging, so I was pretty happy. Um, now, for my two dollars... I got my camera, and I actually got the original box as well, which is lovely. It's a, it's a beautiful yellow, it's a beautiful design to it. It says Kodak Instamatic 233 Color Outfits. And you sort of open up the box, and as you open up the box, there's some sort of um, styrofoam where all the bits and bobs for the camera go. So the camera went in the main one there. There's actually a magic cube in the box. Uh, there's an old mercury battery in there as well. I think it's mercury. I better be careful with that. So, uh, yeah, don't uh, come into contact with that too much. Um, and there's actually at the back of the box. So as you sit the box, the, you sit the open box on the table. Uh, at the back of the inside lid, there's a beautiful picture of a young lady with a cow or a calf, a calf, a baby cow. And it says Kodak Instamatic 233 color outfit. Uh, so yeah, it's a really cool little piece of design. Very nice. Um, on the back of the box, it says Kodak Australasia. Australasia is a word for Australia and New Zealand and other places. Kodak Australasia Proprietary Limited, Melbourne, Australia. Check out the show notes at mattlovescameras.com. If you're on Instagram, come say hi at mattlovescameras or 
If you fancy getting in touch, drop us a line at mattlovescameras at gmail.com. So let's look at the Instamatic 233 camera. It's a very boxy looking camera. Uh, it's actually, it feels a bit heavier to me than it should be. It, uh, it's made of plastic, I thought it'd be really light, but it's actually a little bit heavy. So looking at the camera, it's black and silver, the front of it. And on silver part at the top, it says Instamatic 233 camera, Kodak made in England. Around the lens, it says Kodak Riomar. Around the lens, there are some symbols, some weather symbols, and some distance symbols, and I'll tell you about them in a minute. On the top, there is a little uh, funny little hole for a magic cube, or a which is a flash cube. It's got a very big advance lever here on top, and here is the sound it makes. And it's also got the shutter button there on top. On the back, there is a, the back film door with the window. Of course, with the window, you will see the, the frame numbers uh, zoom past you as you wind the film on. Uh, of course, the, the frame numbers are on the backing paper of the film. There's a little slot on the side where you put that battery to power the flash. And there's also the film door here, which you open up and that's where you put in your cartridge and you close it back up. And uh, when you first put a cartridge in, you just keep winding and winding and winding until you see the number one and uh, then you're good to go. Oh, and the one thing that I didn't tell you about is the viewfinder. So the viewfinder is to the left of the camera. And of course the lens is in the middle. So, you know, this is a snapshot viewfinder camera. And uh, yeah, the viewfinder window is pretty small. Um, and it's just like a little square. It's, it's quite kind of hard for me to look through. Um, but you know, when I was taking photos, I didn't find it too bad. And I think my framing was, was pretty accurate uh, with what I was looking at. Uh, there is a minimum focus distance of, I think they say three feet, I've read three feet somewhere, 90 centimetres, and I've read 120 centimetres somewhere else, which is four feet. Uh, so that's a little bit up in the air, what the minimum focus distance is, uh, but you're not going to really get uh, too many parallax errors. Uh, that is, because the viewfinder is to the left of the camera and the lens is in the middle, if you were taking images really close up, you would find the framing wouldn't be right. Um, I don't think there's that many issues with, with this because you've got to be, you know, three to four feet away from your object or your subject when you take the photo. Now, there's only two shutter speeds on this camera, one fortieth of a second and one eightieth of a second. And these all come down to the settings on the front of the lens. And those weather symbols also affect the aperture. So as you turn from one to the other, your shutter speed and or aperture will change uh, all automatically. You don't really get a say in it. All you've got to do is kind of uh, line your weather up on your dial on your lens um, to the weather that's happening <laughs> where you're taking the photo. So the first um, weather symbol is a, a sun and like a sailboat. The next one is bright sun. The third one is hazy sun. The fourth one is a light cloud. And the fifth one is a big, dark, heavy cloud. And what you can do is you can actually look into the lens and put it on, say, the dark cloud and then twist it towards the sailboat. And you can actually see that aperture changing. 
So it goes from kind of being wide open on the, on the, uh, the cloud, the big dark cloud, to being a much smaller aperture. Uh, so yeah, it narrows down there as you put it towards the, uh, the bright sun and the sailboat. Now, those same symbols, those five symbols, they also control the shutter speed. So there's only two shutter speeds, one fortieth of a second and one eightieth of a second. I don't actually know uh, which one does which. Uh, I'm going to guess that the uh, the cloudy ones do the one fortieth and uh, probably the sunny ones will do one eightieth. Um, but other than that, I'm not sure exactly which ones are which and there's no explanation at all in the uh, the manual. So the lens is fixed focus, and I've actually read that the maximum aperture, which you'd be using uh, when you've got it on that dark cloud, is f6.6. Uh, it doesn't say that anywhere in the manual or on the camera, but I have read that that maximum or the widest aperture is uh, f6.6. So let's have a look at the little um, manual here. There's a young lady um, on the front cover in the sand, looking very happy, and someone's taken her photo. And uh, on the front here, it says Kodak Instamatic 233 camera. In the front cover, there's actually all the different types of Kodak 126 film that you can buy, which is really cool. Uh, so there's examples of them. So there's Kodakolor X film, which looks like from the diagram, it's for prints. The next one is some slide, is a picture of a slide. So the young lady is in the middle of a slide here. And it says Kodachrome X film and Ektachrome X film. And the last one is back to print. So this young lady. And uh, she's in black and white this time. And it says Verichrome pan film. So there you go. Um, there was black and white film, there was color positive film, and color negative film uh, for the 126 cartridges. Uh, and so here are the, I'm going to read you the complete instructions for the camera, which won't take very long. And the thing about the instructions is that they're actually in how many? Seven languages, <laughs> uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, so all uh, European languages by the look of it. So it says open camera, drop in cartridge, close camera, operate lever, which, which is the film advance lever, until it locks. Now let's take some pictures. Set the symbol, which is the weather symbol. Bright sun on light sand or snow, which is the sailboat one. Bright sun, distinct shadows. Weak hazy sun, soft shadows. Cloudy bright, no shadows. Cloudy dull or open shade. And the next sort of few give you some more tips on taking photos. Avoid sun shining into lens. In bright sun, keep three feet or more from a subject. In other weather conditions, five feet or more. Frame subject, keeping it well within the bright lines of the viewfinder, which is pretty easy. To take pictures, release shutter button without jerking camera. So no camera shake, in other words. Now operate lever, that's the film advance lever, until it locks. So you're then moving that pin in the camera onto the next frame. Keeping fingers clear of the shutter release. Ignore click, it says. Hmm, don't know what that means. Um, so what's the next bit? Numbers in window, which is the film window, serve only to count exposures. Now let's take some flash pictures. So open battery compartment door, 
insert a PX23 battery, closed door, push in a flash cube. It rotates as you wind on or may be turned manually. It gives four flashes, the uh, flash cube. And with the flash photography, it's a little bit different. So you actually have to use some other uh, information on the lens. So past the weather symbols, there's actually some distance symbols. So it's got the distance in uh, feet and meters. Uh, and you just have to set the appropriate distance for your subject. And that's when you're using the flash. So you only use those... Um, those distance markers when using flash only. And just the final bit of the instructions. After last exposure, wind until all yellow paper has passed window, remove cartridge for processing. And that's it. That's pretty much the entire instruction manual. There's a bit near the end uh, about making color transparencies from Coda Color X negatives and prints and stuff like that. There's a guarantee, um, but that's from Kodak Australasia. Um, which is really, really cool. I really like that little manual. It doesn't tell you many specs or anything, uh, but it gives you all the important information to take pictures with your 126 camera. So let's talk about the images that I took with the Kodak Instamatic 233. Now, the first film that I used was that outdated 1985 ISO 100 uh, chemist brand film. And I put that film in and I went around and took a whole lot of images. And sadly, it didn't turn out very well. So I've got it here in front of me in one single strip. I had it developed at... Uh, my usual lab, which is uh, Camera House Intrapilly. Because it's a C41 process, they just put it through the C41 process and out it came. Um, it's kind of like a green looking negative and the images are very faint. So you can see the image lines in between images and on some images you can make out what it's supposed to be, but they're very, very faint. And when I scanned them, there was a lot of like base level fog on the images and they just looked horrible, horrible, horrible. And I took some really cool photos. Well, I think I took some really cool photos on that roll, um, you know, out and about with the kids and uh, some old cars I found and stuff like that. So I was a bit disappointed when I got the negs back and they were so bad. But the film expired in 1985. So, uh, you know, what, what are you going to do? Now, I did actually shoot. I did make allowances for that. So what I did was I went out in Brisbane in very bright sunshine, knowing that I probably should give this old print film some more light. I went out and shot the whole roll in very bright sunshine, but I shot it on the very dark clouds symbol. Okay, so that opens up the aperture in this 126 camera to, from what I've read, to f6.6. Now, if I'd actually followed the dial on the camera, it would have made that aperture a lot bigger so it would probably be I don't know f16 maybe I don't know which means that the images on the film would have been even darker than they were so I got that film back and it wasn't very good I then decided to try with a different uh, 126 cartridge and this one was expired in 1993 and this was a color cartridge and this one was ISO 200. So twice as sensitive to light as ISO 100. 
So I thought, right, hopefully this one, I'm going to get better results. So again, I went out in bright sunshine with this Kodakala ISO 200 film. And again, I shot it, even though it was bright sunshiny day, uh, when I shot the film, I put it on the dark cloud just to give it some more light, hoping that I would get some images. And I did get some images. uh, And I'm actually really, really happy with them. So I'm going to describe them for you now. You can see all these images on the show's website, mattlovescameras.com, and I'll put a few up as well on the Instagram at mattlovescameras. So the first one here is of the Brisbane Wheel, which is a uh, an attraction we have in Brisbane at South Bank. Uh, it's just a big like wheel thing that goes around and around and around. Uh, I think the last time I went on there, I actually felt quite sick. Uh, heights, I'm a bit weird with heights. I get a bit, bit heights... Um, not height sick. I don't know what the word is. I get get a bit scared of heights though. Um, so this is a picture very early morning in Brisbane. Well, actually not that early morning, probably about eight o'clock. And uh, it's of the bright blue sky with this beautiful white wheel in the uh, the middle of the picture there. I actually really like this image. It looks really crisp and sharp. I've left a little bit of the, the film burn on the right-hand side. So there's a bit of yellow going down the side of the frame. Uh, and you'll also notice probably across the middle of the image, there are some kind of orangey lines. Uh, I think that's just the film was so old. Um, In a few of these images, you'll see that sort of orange band across the middle of the film. I think it's just because it's expired film. Now, the next image down, again, you'll see the Brisbane wheel just in the left-hand side of this image. And that's actually the ABC building in uh, um, Brisbane, South Brisbane. So ABC, of course, is Australia's national broadcaster. And that's where they have a lot of the uh, the radio. I think they have 612 radio in there and a few other, few other sort of bits and bobs of the ABC in that building. And there are some beautiful, uh, well, there's a beautiful pink tree. Uh, well, it has like pink leaves and flowers. And I think that looks really nice with the, the sort of pale blue sky. The next image down, I took... Uh, just before that one. So the, the first three images I took in a row, more or less. And this is uh, just another building in South Brisbane. I might even be the back of the Brisbane uh, Convention Centre, I think. Um, and you can actually see, once again, you can see a reflection of the Brisbane wheel. And again, this image is quite sharp. I think it looks pretty good. Um, you will see some noticeable vignetting in this image um, to the top of the image which is really quite interesting. Um, So there you go. But I think for this old camera, I think the images so far are looking pretty good. Now, the next one, two, three images uh, I took down at Victoria Points, which is in my hood, uh, not far away from where I live. And I went down on a very bright, sunny day. Um, I took one at low tide of a dinghy or a small little boat there. And there's a nice reflection on the water. It's actually really shallow there. Um, you just got to be careful when you walk out on the mud uh, because you can sort of sink in the mud a little bit. Uh, you can also step on things like stonefish, which will give you a very nasty sting. So um, you've just got to be a little bit careful when you when you wander on the water down there. Uh, but yeah, I really like this image. You can see some nice clouds in the background there. It's pretty grainy and you can see those bands of uh, sort of yellowy orange bands across the top of the film uh, just because of the, the film's age. Um, but I think it does look pretty cool. The next one down is my beautiful boy, my son. 
Now, this kind of annoys me because I I reckon I was about a, at least a meter or at least three and a half feet away from my boy when I took this photo and he's not in focus. Now, as it turns out, it was so sort of sunny, he could barely look at the camera anyway. He's kind of looking down, squinting, but he's not in focus, um, which is I find really annoying um, because, like I said, I'm sure I had the minimum focus distance set, uh, you know, in terms of how far I was away from him. Uh, but oh well. The next image is again a Victoria Point, and I think it's the same dinghy as the first one, um, just a little different view. And that's actually looking down in the background there. You'll see the the ferry uh, terminal there at uh, Victoria Point, and that's where the ferry goes over to Kuchimudlo Island, which is a lovely little island. And I featured images that I've taken at Kuchimudlo in the past on Matt Love's cameras. The second last image is a beautiful red boat, again at Victoria Point. I'm a little bit in love with this boat. Uh, I've taken so many photos of it over the last two to three weeks <laughs> with all sorts of cameras, so you'll probably get sick of it in future episodes of Matt Love's Cameras. Um, but I really like this image, this beautiful little red boat with a nice reflection and this guy and some clouds. Uh, it kind of almost looks like a little painting or something. It, it, you, again, you can see the, the sort of banding, the yellow-orange banding of the film, and again, you can see the vignetting of the film as well. It's around the corners. It's quite dark. Now, the last image I'm going to talk to you about is, again, this is another um, something else that I've become obsessed with lately. This is the Treasury Hotel in Brisbane, right in the middle of Brisbane. And there's this kind of purpley pink tree right out in front. And I've taken so many photos of this tree um, over the last, I don't know, one to two months on various types of film. So again, you'll probably be seeing quite a few images of this tree coming up. Now, a lot of those photos I did actually shoot uh, looking upwards. Um, This one I sort of shot more straight on. So that's a very late afternoon shot uh, of the Treasury Hotel with that tree in the front there. So just a couple of uh, final things to note about 126 film. So when I was scanning this film, it was a little bit tricky. So because it's the same size as 135 film or 35 millimeter film, I actually put it in my Epson scanning masks and the images were coming out rectangular. Um, I didn't do the thumbnail kind of preview. I sort of selected the area that the, uh, the preview showed up, but the images were coming out rectangular and I was thinking, what's going on here? And it wasn't until one of the boat pictures come up and the, the top of the mast was chopped off. And I was thinking, I'm sure I did not chop off the top of the mask. Uh, and so then I had a look at the images thinking, are these images really square? And of course, they are square. And it took me a minute, uh, dear listeners, to figure out the issue. So of course, 135 film or 35 millimeter film, the image is only 24 millimeter high. With 126 film... The film is the same size, but the image takes up more space on that film. It takes up 28 millimeters. Um, So that's why when you put it in the mask, the scanning mask, you're actually kind of cropping it in the scanning mask for scanning. So what, what I had to do was in the end, I actually got some museum glass. I had a few issues with that, to be honest, um, because it was creating a few Newton rings here and there. 
Um, but um, I scanned and scanned and scanned the film under the museum glass and finally I got some good results or some passable results and uh, that's what the issue is you cannot scan 126 film in a traditional 135 holder unless of course you have one of those fancy ones uh, that allows you to scan the sprockets I think the uh, the Lomography um, 35mm uh, holder you can you can scan sprockets um, which would make it ideal for 126 film. But, of course, the, the Epson one doesn't. Uh, so there you go. And the other thing, curious thing to note, when you hold the, the 126 film up to the light, the images kind of overlap each other, which is really interesting. So, you know, they're supposed to be 26 millimeters by 26 millimeters, which is probably what they get cut down to when, they, when they're printed. Um, but they are 28 millimeters by 28 millimeters and they do overlap on the film ever so slightly, which is very interesting. Now, I think we'll just give this camera some ratings and we'll finish up this episode. So here are my ratings for the Kodak Instamatic 233. These are my completely made up and arbitrary ratings. So usability and performance, uh, I'm gonna give this camera an 18 out of 25. It's a very easy camera to use. You get your cartridge, open up the back, pop it in, close it up, wind it on and start snapping away. The only reason I'm gonna give this some um, not that good a mark, 18 out of 25 I'll give it, is because there's no focusing and when people are quite close up, you just don't know whether they're gonna be in the in focus or not, which is really annoying. Uh, and I'm a bit a little bit sad that the picture of my boy didn't turn out in focus, but uh, I'll, I'll remember that next time I shoot with this camera, if there is a next time. Features. This camera does not have many features. It was meant for beginning photographers in the 1960s who knew very little about photography. So you have very little control over the settings of the camera. Uh, you know, it's got a fixed focus. The only real thing you can do is change the aperture by mucking around with that weather symbol dial on the front. And as you change the weather symbol, you can see the, the aperture, you know, uh, opening up and, and closing down. That's really the only thing you can do. The shutter speeds are set. Um, you know, at least you can't do double exposures because, uh, you know, you take one image per frame and keep moving on. So yeah, I'm gonna give it 12 out of 25 for features. Images, this is a rating for how happy I am with the images that came out of the camera. And I'm actually gonna give this 18 out of 25. Now you might be thinking, what, you're giving Instamatic photos 18 out of 25? Well, given that you've got a really basic camera in your hand and I'm using film that is how many, 25 years expired, I'm really happy with the way the images came out on that second cartridge. The first one was a complete disaster because the film was just so old, it was fogged and horrible. Um, but this second one I'm really happy with and I'm really surprised that they turned out as well as they did. So I'm, I'm yeah, super happy and I'm going to give it uh, 18 out of 25 for the images that I shot with it. Fun. This is probably one of the most important reasons why I shoot film cameras. I think they're so much fun and uh, I'm really, really glad that I got the opportunity to shoot with 126 film with some good results coming out of the camera on that second cartridge. Uh, when the first cartridge came back, I was a little bit, uh, I wouldn't say I was heartbroken, but I was a bit disappointed. I was like, oh man, I don't think I'm going to get to do an episode on this 126 camera because uh, the, the results are so bad. 
But uh, when I saw the second ones, I was really, really happy. Um, yeah, so I think it's really fun shooting with one of these cameras, despite the fact you haven't got much control. And when you see those square images, it is very reminiscent of the images that I had, certainly uh, in our photo albums when I was growing up in the, the late 70s, early 80s. So I think it is a whole lot of fun. Uh, I'd give it 14 out of 25 for fun. And I would definitely recommend if you can get hold of some uh, 126 film that's relatively recent, get out there, find a camera and shoot that film. Shoot that 126 film. <laughs> So that gives the Kodak Instamatic 233-62 out of 100. Or maybe I should give it an extra bonus point to make it 63 because that was the year it came out. Uh, no, I'll stick to 62 out of 100. So just a, a bit of an update on what I've been doing over the last few weeks. Um, I have been out there shooting with quite a few different cameras. So there are many more episodes of Matt, Lo La 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 La. Matt Loves Cameras <laughs> coming up. I'm actually waiting for some film to come back to me. Uh, I've got seven rolls um, getting devved at the moment. Um, I, I actually had quite a few E6 rolls. Uh, and some one roll of black and white and uh, I sent them down to Rewind Photo Lab in Sydney where I get my black and white knee six done so hopefully they'll come back on Monday or Tuesday um, and um, some more episodes of Matt Loves Cameras hopefully, fingers crossed, will be just around the corner now I have actually bought a new camera recently uh, which again I will be doing a new episode on very soon it is the Mint RF70 uh, instant camera which takes Instax wide film. Uh, this has been around for a while. Uh, I think there were some prototypes or some early models to go out last year in 2018 and then uh, or maybe I, maybe they just opened it up to a limited audience maybe the sale of the camera uh, but it has got on sale uh, to a wider audience uh, probably about four or five six weeks ago and I bought one. It is quite expensive. Uh, I mean, it was, you know, eight, nine hundred US dollars, which is a lot of money. However, one of the advantages of the Mint cameras is that you can actually get free film. So uh, I've actually been posting away on my one of my Instagram accounts, Matt Loves Instant. So that's all my instant photography, Matt Loves Instant. And um, if you get, if you post up photos uh, with the camera, uh, taken with the camera, but featuring the camera, for every four images you post, uh, as long as you get a certain number of likes, I think it's 45 likes or something like that, every four images you post, Mint will send you a free pack of Instax wide. Um, there's a lot of terms and conditions you've got to adhere to, but they look pretty easy to adhere to. Uh, so I'm busily posting away uh, images taken with the RF70 on Matt Love's Instance, um, and hopefully I'll be getting some free film soon, fingers crossed. So it is a camera which has been a little bit of a learning curve for me, but I am really enjoying it. Uh, just a shout out, if you do want to know more about the RF70, um, the Mint RF70, by all means, have a look at my uh, Instagram at Matt Loves Instant. But um, a guy who I think you should definitely follow and definitely check out his images and his guides, not just about the Mint camera, the RF70, but about a lot of different instant cameras, is Anthony, who's my my online Instagram friend, Anthony. Uh, actually, we know he's spoken as well on the phone. Uh, so Anthony's a really great guy. He's very generous with his time. And um, he is uh, really very helpful to a lot of people shooting instant film out there. So Anthony's based uh, here in Australia. 
in uh, northern New South Wales, I think, Tamworth maybe. And um, so you can follow his beautiful instant uh, Instagram feed at uh, my instant images, my instant images. So if you're interested in, in you know, shooting with Instax, um, Instax wide, Polaroid, uh, Anthony's got a lot of fantastic guides on his uh, website, on his Instagram, sorry. Um, so I well, well worth checking out. couple of final shout outs just want to give a shout out to george who does the on the streets uh, photography podcast uh, i think george lives in london from memory uh, and i have been going through his uh, latest episodes and some of his back catalog of his podcast so you can check that out um, in your favorite podcast app by putting in on the streets uh, george mainly takes street photography as the name of the podcast suggests but um, there's a lot of very... Um, I, I'm not really a street photographer myself, but I actually found it very interesting. There's a lot of stuff in the podcast that could be of interest to anyone who is a photographer. So, um, yeah, great stuff from George there. And uh, I, I must confess, I don't watch photography stuff on YouTube a lot, uh, mainly because I, I kind of listen to podcasts when I'm out walking or on the commute and stuff like that. But I do occasionally look at YouTube for photography and um, one channel I have been watching lately, and I've only gone through a few of the videos, um, but I, I do want to watch quite a few more of them by looking at the video list here, is the old camera guy. And the old camera guy is Dave, who lives in the I can't speak, lives in the United States. And Dave's got a really good channel here on uh, YouTube, the old camera guy, just search for that. And, um, you know, really nice, cool video list looking here. Uh, so some of the ones he does reviews on are the Vivitar Ultra Wide and Slim. And he just gave one of those away, which is pretty cool. Lomo LCA, uh, the Olympus Pen EES, Polaroids, two plastic zoom camera challenges, uh, Olympus Stylus Mew review, all that kind of stuff. So if you are on YouTube or if you do watch YouTube quite a lot for your photography fix, yeah, check out the old camera guy who is Dave. That's it for episode 14 of Matt Loves Cameras. I hope you have enjoyed it. If you want to drop me a line, you can get in touch through Instagram at Matt Loves Cameras or by emailing at mattlovescameras at gmail.com. And remember to subscribe in your podcast app because there are plenty more episodes coming up soon. See you later. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Cassie NMZ. Check the show notes for the link.